Hi, I'm Neil Brennan. Uh, this is a podcast called Blocks, based on my Netflix special, where I talked about my blocks, things that make me feel like something's wrong with me, alone in the world, etc. And then I have people I know come on, and uh, they tell me about their blocks, things that make them feel alone in the world. Um, it, I know. It's not, you're the worst. You're the, well, I, no, no, no. I'm sorry. I don't mean that. It's just like okay. <laughs> No, it's not your bag, right, but I right. want to talk about it. I have empathy for it. I understand it. Yes. I mean, all comedians have some sort of flaw. It's what gets them through the day. You know, it, it, it's like comedians to go on stage drunk. If they do well, I did well and I was drunk and I did great. Or, well, of course I didn't do that well. I was drunk. You know what I'm saying? They always have to have that crutch. Right. The idea is when you can work without the crutch, you're actually much better off. I don't think you believe that blocks was a crutch. That's what that just sounded like. Like the crutch being, I, what I'm talking about no, like I don't think emo. It's a, I, don't mean, I, don't, yeah. I don't mean it as a crutch. It's just that you can get around it. Yeah, I'm doing an hour now that's got nothing, zero Well, there you go. Emo like people say, you know, these are the obstacles in your path. They keep, no, no. The obstacle is the way. Right. Yeah, that yeah. is the path. Yes. Yeah, that's that's what that's life the, is. Yeah, it's most of the path is yeah, just Yeah, people this. say, I would have done this if it wasn't for this. No, but that's always going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. That, we want to talk about I want to okay. talk about that. Go ahead. All right. Well, this is what he texted me one block's air. This is Jay Leno, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Thank you. One of the uh, greatest comedians to ever yes, do it. Yes, and yes, uh, yes. and he hosts The Tonight Show for a couple, couple years. 20, 22 years. 23 Pretty good. Pretty good. All things considered. Yo, Neil, just watched your special, and unlike many I see, it truly was special. Touching, funny, gut-wrenching, funny again, heartfelt, funny, three funnies. Everything you said was back with a joke. Every comedian that sees it can identify with every emotion you portrayed. No gimmicks, no tricks, just pure original thoughts that could only come from you. You are a comedian who thinks he's a writer. Writers can't convey pain on stage the way you did. Thanks for making what we do truly an art form. A loyal fan, Jay Leno. Oh, that's pretty good. No, I didn't realize I wrote that, but yeah, well, thank you. You got into the Vicodins and started texting Yeah, that's it. Yeah, Vicodin. That's what I do. I take a lot of drugs, yeah. Okay. Here's what I'm interested in. Okay. In you. Because I know that you're from a generation that is not squishy. Like, you know, it's a bit, what I do is a little squishy. It's like, you're from a generation where comedically, you guys were in hostile environments. Well, no, no. I I think maybe you misinterpreted it. I don't consider you did squishy. I consider it brave because most people don't have the ability to portray it. So it comes across as phony. You have the ability, oh, right. okay. you have the ability to portray it. So I believe you. Right. You know, it's like when I see someone playing a gay person in pain, it looks funny. When I see a gay person really projecting what, what it's like to be put upon, a, oh man, I really empathize with it. So that's the brave person, not the, the straight person. Right. But tend to be, you know what I mean? It, it's the yeah. same sort of thing, if that makes any sense. No, well, what's funny is I, I didn't think Jerry Seinfeld would like three mics or blocks. And he's like, no, I love it. Why would you? Because I just assume you guys like pure stand-up but then no no the stand-up you do when you're playing the sand and gravel convention in vegas uh-huh and you've got to get those job and you're just you're bobbing and weaving yeah and you're boxing and you're fighting and you, you're still standing at the end oh whew, that's great you know and well then, that's what that's what i was going to say is like 
the where stand-up is now there's more like latitude in terms of what people will watch whereas jerry always says like he was like you guys were opening for like gloria Gaynor and like right, right. hostile you that's know. right if you, you're like i made when i was at the comedy store i i remember i said to mitzi because at that time uh richie we call him Richie. He was Richard Pryor. But you know him as Richard Pryor. No, they we, all call him Richie. We call him Richie. Yeah. Anyway, he was getting ready to do the first tape live at the Sunset Strip, his mm-hmm. his movie stand-up, which was like one of the first people ever do that. So I said, can I go on after Richard every night? You know, because then I would find out if something was funny. I mean, he would blow the room. People are like, ah! And people, he was announced, right? It wasn't like he just popped oh, in. It no, was a was Richard a, he Pryor show. He was working show. out. So people came to see him work out what he was going to do three weeks from now, mm-hmm. whatever it might be. And just killing the room. Just right. ugh, doing an hour and a half, whatever. And then I would go on. And I realized I didn't have an hour's worth of material. I had maybe 18 minutes. But if, if you really counted what got a laugh after Richie. Oh, because you were just kind of not doing nearly as well. Right. I mean, I always, whenever I see comedians go, you know, I've been doing this bit for like years. Well, get rid of it. Right. The fact that it worked once in Denver, well, that's great. Yeah. It's like a bad pickup line. Gee, it worked once with this girl in Cleveland. Okay, but that girl was really stupid and she was drunk. Okay, it hasn't worked with a woman since. Forget the line. Yeah. do something else exactly yeah because you it's like <laughs> you guys were it they all the jokes had to work you couldn't be right right like emote there were there was not enough stand-up no, every six to nine seconds you need to laugh explain how because i was thinking about the the idea of making a living as a comedian mm-hmm. in the you started in 69 yeah it's good it's positive we're both sounding like it's sad like oh um, well it was different because then I was in Boston. That's 53 years ago, by my calculations? Yeah, which was sort yeah. of the height of the anti-war Vietnam demonstrations. Um, you know, every week the Boston Common had protests and stuff. So usually you would go on. A lot of colleges had what they called hootenanny night. It's uh-huh. funny. But it would be mostly, it was mostly folks. Stop your war machine, man. You know, and the theater would be like, uh, the stage would be dark. The people with flashlights click. Stop your war machine, click. And then they'd run over there <laughs> and say, stop your war machine. And, you know, all these sort of weird. Yeah. And then you're doing comedy. It just seemed in a, like, what? Hey, we're serious people, man. It, 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 so you it, had to try to get on, like, basically poetry readings. Yeah, you go on to poetry. It just, if you got a laugh, oh, my God, it was unbelievable if you got a laugh. It was, like, the greatest thing ever. And there really weren't a lot of people wanting to be comedians. I mean, I would go, I would drive to the improv in New York. From Boston. From Boston almost every night to try and get on there. I repeat, and, every night. Yeah, just about, yeah. Foot yeah. through four hours, minimum. No, you could do it in two and a half if you put your foot in it. But this, guy, this guy's been in two recent accidents. No one knows how. <laughs> yeah, Go but, ahead. But um, I would drive the improv every night to try and work on because I'd get down there, and it was mostly Broadway singers. Mm-hmm. So Bud would say, okay, three singers, then you. Okay, five singers. Because there just weren't people who wanted to be comedians. Yeah. But I remember in the audition line, I met Freddie Prince. I met Richard Lewis. And then the idea of making a living at it, it how many people, I mean, there were 20 people making a living at stand-up at that point? Depends what you call living, really. I mean, you're eating top ramen. and, and Over 60 grand. Oh, no, not six, 60 Again, grand. Again, fine, or whatever Whatever 60 grand was. What I know. used to do was I, go in, I used to go into bars in Boston that had music acts, and I put a $50 bill on the bar, and I'd say to the bartender, 
Let me go. I went to comedy. Okay, let me go. If I get laughs, uh, give me the 50 back. If I don't get laughs, you keep the 50. And I went through about a little under $500 doing that until a couple of times people went, oh, kid, that was right. Here's your 50 pack. And hey, but yeah, the come, other come, 10 come, time or come, come back next, come back next Tuesday if you want. Oh, oh thank you. You know, and, and I, they kept the 50. How many people, how much money do you lose? I lose about, like, about $450. And <laughs> because you didn't get laughs. That's because, well, the bar, or they, they welched. They didn't think I was funny enough or nah, kid, we don't want comedy. Thank you. You know, you get up there yeah. and do something, got nothing, you know. But after a few times of doing that, it was like, hey, is it 50? You want to come back again? I right, come back next week. No money, but come back. Oh, okay. And then you, you cut a bill. From so there that. were just no clubs. No, there were no comedy clubs. It didn't exist. I worked strip clubs. I used to, you go on in between strippers at the Hillbilly Ranch in Boston mm -hmm. and places like that. I mean, I remember working with Miss Cow. Of course. And I Need a Man. Those were the two strippers. And I got friendly with two of them. And these were big women you know and they were all had shaved heads but they wore wigs and we i remember we would drive out to um was it fort devons and they would put together a giant champagne glass you know they have like nails now ring, 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 and they put this thing they fill it with water and then they would take a bath and i would i would stand and tell jokes and they were very they were like 40 and i was like 19 and they were like very protective towards me so one day i'm telling jokes hey kid you suck just yell. She goes, shut up. You go, you shut up. And the stripper gets out of the tub and he grabs the guy, bam, breaks his nose. And blood all over the pool, all over the all over the champ, the, the fake champagne glass. And she gets back in the water and she's washing the blood off. And I'm trying to talk. I mean, it was, it was great. It was like <laughs> a wonderful the blood. Yeah, it was wonderful. At a strip club. Oh, yeah. Some of the guys weren't turned on until she did that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so stand-up wise, it was the Wild West. Just but you have to understand, if you got anything at all. You know, the, some, when I came to L.A., I realized, oh, my God, these people all want to be comedians, too. I had never met a comedian in Boston. Anybody else wanted to do do this. So it seems so okay. you're the only one at the poetry reading who or whatever the, no, the war were, machine. There were stuff. two kids from Harvard named Franken and Davis. Sure. Al Franken. I Al Franken's it, coming on Tom Davis, any yeah. week now. Yeah. And I and I remember meeting him at one of the oh, you guys do comedy, too. And. And, and they were a little more intellectual and stuff, but it, but but good. I was like, oh, okay. So that was okay. It wasn't like there wasn't anybody, but there just wasn't a lot. You just didn't meet, you know, a yeah, family of there performers. Was no, yeah. yeah. So you're doing it. It's a real like leap leap of faith. Like I have to do this. I don't even know what this is. It seems like the whole. It seems like Pryor made a lot of money. Johnny like Johnny Carson, Richard Pryor, like. You know, the oh, I wasn't thinking of making a lot Alan of Alan King. I was just thinking of just something about it. You know, it's like when you're a kid and you discover girls. Why do, Why am I attracted to that? I, I just am. You know, and the same thing with comedy. It was like, oh, that's because I really, I wasn't, my dad, my dad was a prize fighter. He could fight. And I remember he, he taught me to box. I was terrible, terrible fighter. And my dad said, you know, son, I'll tell you one thing. You can really take a beat. And I went, oh, thanks. Because <laughs> I, I, I always told my dad was there, so I always tried to, you just got the crappy down. I said, Pop, I'm not good. He goes, no, that's okay. I said, I'm proud of you. You know how to take a beat. And thanks, Pop. 
I appreciate that. How long were you taking beatings for? Well, not very long. <laughs> no, right, not, but not for, for real, long. like six months, a year, uh, no, two it, months. It was when I was in high school. You know, my dad, come on. Yeah. Oh, you're talking. So he, you're not talking about stand-up. You're talking about this is before, actual fighting. This, actually, fighting. Yeah. No, no, yeah. I mean, just getting the crap beat out. You know, by your father. No, no, not by my father. By other, by other fighters. Got it. You know, that okay. guy's son had. Because I couldn't bring my, I don't want to hit a guy in the face. You know, so I was going to say, if it was your father, we could do that one man show. That yeah, yeah, no, no, no. My to. father was great. My father yeah. Um, and then how long did it take you to have any semblance of a clue about stand up? Well, again, it depends what you call a clue. You know, um, I used to MC a little bit. Harvard had a thing called the Nameless Cafe, and my my college roommate Gene Bronstein, who wanted to write sitcoms and stuff. We kind of hooked up as a team and did a little bit of that. So so you didn't fail by yourself. And then I joined a comedy group, but they didn't want to work as much as I did. And I split off and just went on my own from that point. But any place I could get on stage, I remember being booked at Playboy clubs and you get paid like $300 for a weekend in Kansas. But it was 600 to fly there. So I had a job at a car dealership and I'd save enough money to fly to the, and go to the gig and, and to make, you know, half my airfare to come back. But it just seemed like, what? And quit show business, you know? So it, I, I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah, it's a fun thing to be able to do. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. It's, so this life that you have now, mm -hmm. unimaginable. It was unimaginable then, but it's basically the same thing. I still think the same way. Like if if I don't work, this week, I th I think I'm broke. I go, okay, I gotta get, cause I can't be spending money that I don't have. You know, I, but we, you we, we talked, we used to talk about this with Seinfeld. This is the big thing. You know, I, I always wanted to live on what I made as a standup. Anything else was fake or temporary. So every Tonight Show check, I never, I just put put in the bank. I, I want to live on what I'm, I make as a standup. I don't know if you know this, but price if you're up. listening or watching, the host of The Tonight Show makes a great deal of money. Oh, yeah. It was uh, over $20 million a year back back in those days. Oh, yeah. Back in those days. <laughs> my best year was $37 million. Pretty good. Uh, but that was including standup. That was including standup. Oh, so. But the best thing was, you know, I was with ICM and they called me in one day and they said, uh, yeah, we're going to drop you as a client. And I go, why? What? what I, he goes, yeah, you good. Yeah, yeah. I was opening for, you know, John Davison. He was doing all that kind of stuff. They said, you're just This not... is in 70. No, this is in uh, 80s. They said, you're just not the kind of guy whose name's going to be in the paper every day. I said, well, yeah, I'm not that kind of guy. Okay, so we'll, we'll just part. If, if a job comes up, we'll call you. Okay, thanks. So we broke off with that. And then, it, boom, two years later, I, I'm hosting The Tonight Show. So I saved 10% of... A gazillion dollars. It was fabulous. <laughs> yeah, it was four. Uh, oh yeah, it was four hundred something. Yeah. All right, because there's a part of me that when I hear that, I've heard you say talk about the money stuff, and and I go, is that like a I'm a regular guy, blue collar thing, or is it truly like you viscerally are afraid that you're going to go broke? Yeah, I am a huge believer in low self esteem, mm -hmm. and I think it's the key to success. I don't want to believe in it, but it, unfortunately, I, I, it believes in me. Well, but no, but I mean the idea that if you don't think you're the smartest person in the room, you'll listen. I mean, I so many people that get shows. Uh, put the, who did the light? You're fired. I'm doing the lighting. Yeah. Most people can't do anything. I like to think I can do one thing. 
So consequently, I have other things like directing and lighting. Just hire the best people you can and let them do their job. And that's what worked for me. I mean, when we did the Tonight Show, I had it set up. Anybody could pull the chain and stop the train. You know what I'm saying? Even What's if that it, mean? Debbie would get mad at me, at producer, because I would say, you know, one of the interns said they didn't like that joke. Will you stop talking to the interns? I said, well, let's, I mean, there are people watch the show. They have no vested interest. If they, if they think the joke sucks, the joke sucks. But that all, I, I see so many people get talked into thinking they're good by other people. No, the only people, you know, this is the only business where the uh, affection of strangers is more important than friends or loved ones mm -hmm. because they're the ones that really keep the lights, yeah, keep feed the you lights in, yeah. on, you know. So to me, if strangers and people don't like it, well, that's good, okay, because you already have these people, they have a vested interest, yeah. In and the, you're in, the, in that position, yeah, yeah. you have to seek and, out and sort that, of disbelievers and, all, and be like, Do you what don't you like about it? Yeah. and then go, Okay, tell me. And yeah. they're a little afraid, and everyone else is afraid, right? right. But I, I always wanted it so they wouldn't be afraid. And, and that worked pretty well. That worked well for me. People told me, well, you you know, you weren't good tonight. It was really bad. What was wrong? <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. But, I mean, don't you think that's important? Do well, you really want to be lied to? No, I, mean, I agree. No, no, but I'm just surprised. I used to hate the Tonight Show had an applause sign or a laugh sign. Uh -huh. And I go, well, was this funny or, or, yeah. or not? You know, because I would see there would be comedians who come on the Tonight Show and they do fine, get big applause. They do that same set in a club, nothing. Just because it was predictable or there's, yeah. there's just something not spontaneous about it, you know? So when I go out and try jokes on the weekend and I would bring those shows, those jokes back to the show Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and they got a big laugh, bigger than the, the written jokes we had written that day. Because I had tried it, I'd worked it yeah. out a little bit, you know? And that's the thing, because when you, when you do a monologue that's written for you, you just read it, and people go to see you, they're like, well, this sucks, yeah. You know, and, and, and by the same thing, when I go out on the road, people go, wow, I, that was really funny. I didn't know you, I thought you just like talk to people at the desk. No, no, I do stand up. That's yeah. You know, so. Yeah. yeah, like that's the thing I can, can barely, the right, desk right. is like, I can barely do. Right. Hi, it's me, Neil Brennan. You know, buying tickets to your favorite events shouldn't be stressful, shouldn't make your life worse, which is why I'm here to talk to you about Game Time. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theater near you with killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee. You can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have at, insert, event. Look, I'm curious about Taylor Swift. I may go through it and I may not. But I didn't want to bug somebody and I got to call this person and then I got to email my credit card to somebody I barely, whatever, whatever. So go on game time. It's simple. It's an app. It works like an app. It's a good app. It doesn't feel fishy. Does It just feels like a good app like any other app. They got images from seat views, which I actually like when I look at my tickets to see like, how are people looking at me? You hate to encourage procrastination. But Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. They got flash deals for football's about to start. Basketball just ended. RIP. Snag tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use B L O C K S for $20 off your first purchase. Blocks for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, 
Create an account and redeem blocks for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest prices, I guaranteed. Okay, I want to get back to the money thing. Yeah. Are you actually, is there like a creeping fear that you're going to have money? Obviously, it's like a yes. dream or something. Like you actually believe that it's possible you could run out of money. Well, you know, probably not run out of money. Let's say uh, if I go more than a week without doing my act somewhere, I find I'm dyslexic, so I have nothing written down. So I just try to keep it all in my head. And if I don't work at least once or twice a week, the stage is not a normal place to be, you know. But when you do it constantly, it becomes second nature. Mm -hmm. You know, I always used to try and do my act and write a letter with this hand at the same time to try and compartmentalize in my brain. I'd, I'd, be, I'd, I'd be doing the jokes. I, I used to practice by doing, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic of which it stands, one nation. And then I'd read what I wrote and it would, it, 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 the more I did it, the more it made sense. You were writing your act? No, you I was writing, writing the some, Pledge of Allegiance. No, I was writing, no, I'm reciting the Pledge of Allegiance okay. while I'm writing about something else. Okay. And what this gives you as a comedian to me, when I'm on stage, if there's a guy over here talking, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, oh, it's it's a big fat guy with a red tie. Okay. As I'm, as the jokes are kind of falling out of your mouth, what can I say about it? And then I, when I turn, what appears to be spontaneous, it's really something I've been thinking about for about a minute and a half mm -hmm. before I get, you know, does that make yeah, sense? Well, you of know, course. you know, okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's interesting. That's a good technique. Well, you just compartmentalize in your head. You just take, if you, you're, 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 we're doing that anyway. Yeah, your like, act is so familiar to you. Yeah, that you can literally fall asleep on stage. Wait, where, where am I? Because <laughs> it's just falling out of your. Yeah, head. yeah. Um, so money, you're not. You couldn't possibly be worried. So you just like working. You like. I, that's the thing is, I, I like see you work. as just like. You're I just like a, work. I never asked what. A, I mean, I asked what a job paid, but I never. I whenever I see comedians go. I'm not going there for 10 grand. Okay, what are you doing on a Tuesday? Yeah. It's worth 10 grand, mm -hmm. really, really. You know, I never yeah. wanted to be one of those people that turned down a job because it wasn't enough money. That always seemed- elitist. You're only getting eight grand for this. So. Makes, yeah, yeah it's a, again, perfect. <laughs> what else could he be doing? Exactly. No, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, I never want to be that elitist that you- uh, Well, no, all right, so you just like working. You, you've always said like, I need the money. I, and all I'll this. tell you what the thing was. I was watching Johnny Carson one night. This is the key, I think, to Johnny Carson. Dean Martin came on. Mm -hmm. And Dean Martin, Johnny, and Johnny's dressed in his sort of Midwestern, you know, yeah. his Johnny Carson suit. Yes. You know? He had his own line of suits. Yeah, yeah but they were middle price. They weren't high. Yeah, they, and they, they were know? like JCPenney or Bro like, what were they? It's one of those places. Yeah, it wasn't, it was Not like intentional. Penny, a little more upscale. Right. A little, no, I mean, anyway, and Dean Martin, you know, he's just like the Italian singer, you know? And Johnny goes, oh, Boy, I like those shoes. And they were Ferragamos. Now this is like 1968. And Dean goes, yeah, these shoes are 300 bucks. And Johnny, generally, because that was a time when really good shoes were maybe $60, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, now they'd be 1200 probably. And I saw Johnny go, wow. And right away, everybody in the audience identified with Johnny. Yeah. You know, because Dean Martin was on this pedestal and Johnny was the every guy. And whether he did that deliberately, but I don't think he did. I think he was generally surprised. I mean, Johnny drove a Corvette. He didn't drive a Rolls Royce. He didn't drive a Ferrari. He drove a Corvette.
it's sort of an aspirational vehicle. If you're a plumber with your own business and you're really successful, mm -hmm. uh, well, you can get yourself a, a Corvette. You're I not, thought you were regular until you said $37 million. And then well, that changed exactly. your whole thing. There you go. I rest my case. Uh, no, but yeah. Okay. So it's, you like working. Mm -hmm. It's not about the, it's not about like, I need to save this, this pile of money and that pile of money. You just like doing the job. I like doing the job. And it's the thing you say instead of, I like doing the job. Like I always say to my accountant, look, I work and my money relaxes. Okay. <laughs> I, you know, hey, yeah. throw another a couple of grand on the pile. And if the pile's the same, a year from now, perfect. I don't want anything that has minimal risk. If the pile is exactly as high as it was when I left, fine. If it's a little higher, well, that's great. You're doing a good job. If it's if it drops below, we gotta talk. protect it. Yeah, you just yeah. Okay, so you're a comic. You're a club comic. You become arguably one of the strongest in the country in the early mid '80s, right? Arguably, arguably, whatever. Yeah. You're in the conversation. Okay, yeah. You and 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 it seemed like you always crushed at the comedy store, and you were great. And um, well, my attitude was when you get good someplace, get out of there and go to the next place. Go to the next place where you're not good and get good there. The comedy store was a great breeding ground, but it also became, as comics, I think we're somewhat inherently lazy. You go to where you get the laughs as opposed to going to where you're not getting laughs. But don't, most people, I just go to this club because they, they like me there. You know, it's like in the old days, I just do colleges. I, college kids know me. I just do nightclub. Well, if you're a good comedian, you should be able to play just about any art. I mean, I booked myself into Oral Roberts once just to, to see. I just wanted to see, and they give you, you know, no sex, no drug. You know, I said, yeah, fine. And they were fine. They, they laughed at political jokes. They, they were a good audience. They just didn't want sex or drugs and sometimes it's as a comic it's interesting to put limitations on yourself to see are you really funny or is it just obscenities or ever getting a shock out of people or whatever it might be okay so you're you're one of the arguably one of the better you're one of the better stronger you're a headliner okay then you start he doesn't like any of it then you start doing the tonight show then you start you're on letterman once a month well I did the Tonight Show, went very well. And then eh, a couple of shots weren't that strong. And then they weren't using me. See, the trouble was when you grow up, where'd you grow up? Outside Philly and outside, outside Philly. Chicago. Okay, so maybe you have this too. As a kid, I never called my parents' friends by their first names, you know? Like when I Giants, still like consider my mom an authority figure. Like, <laughs> right, right. Like, say, you don't have to say Mr. Carson, say Johnny. Well, it's just not. I, I, yeah. Well, thank, thank you, Mr. Carson. Jay, Johnny. Okay, Johnny. I mean, I, yeah. my natural thing is, and Letterman and I know each other for the from from the comedy store. In fact, Letterman and I got our star. We were writing jokes for Jimmy Walker along with Byron Allen. You know, so we would have these kind of things. And you, that's you know, a writing staff that's now worth. I know. Look at By Byron's the richest. One point nine billion dollars. That's he, nine. I know. I know. One point nine billion dollars worth of. I know. Nah. <laughs> I know. Sure, but, he turned on most of the jokes. But Letterman was the first show where I could really be myself. Like, I knew Letterman got nervous before he went on. So whenever I do Letterman in New York, I go downstairs, there's some Italian meatball. I get a, a huge meatball sandwich, you know. And I would say, what time does Letterman come down? Oh, he comes down at a quarter to five. 
So I'd stand by right by the makeup thing. I have this and I have meatballs. You know, I have sauce all over. And let him go. How can you eat? You go. You're on it twenty minutes. How can you? You know. And he would go. No, I don't. I don't want any of it. You know. And he. I mean, it used to be very funny. And then I got to the point where I'd bring the sandwich out. They please walk into so Oh, funny. Dave, Dave, you gotta try this. <laughs> no, and and let him. He like you know the fun thing about Letterman is we both made each other laugh. Letterman is one of the greatest wordsmiths. The ability to say beverage instead mm -hmm. of drink, mm -hmm. you know, just picking the right word all the time. And with Letterman, it was always the joke was always on the way to the joke. It was never the joke. I remember David said, "Where are you in California? You know, I was at the old Manson place the other day, Dave, and uh, you know, just seeing the gang. You know, seeing the gang. All you know, text. He's, he's still text. You know, and we, and we just, and Letterman thought that kind of thing. So we just did that a lot, and it became very natural and very funny because he knew my rhythm, I knew his. But we were the same age, so I could go, Dave, what, what kind of tie is it? I remember when uh, Dave was embarrassed because you know, he was on the cover of Success magazine." Hmm. So I go, Dave, ladies and gentlemen, Dave is on the cover. Dave is, now he didn't know this. He goes, yeah, put that down. No, Dave, you should be proud of it. I said, you know, Dave, and I, I'm on the cover of Super Success Magazine. <laughs> it, it, it was twice as big. My fist race was twice as big. And it said Super Success. And, and then Letterman realized, oh, that's what the joke is. That's why he's doing it. And I mean, it was just so, it was the most fun I ever had in, in show. I would do Letterman every month and just come on. And sometimes it worked better than other times. But it was just a spontaneity. And the fact it was the first time I could really, Dave, nice tie. What? Look at the tie, you know. And and then he would be embarrassed. And, you know, it was just great. Okay. This, this, that segue isn't what I'm saying. You, all right. So your, your, your Letterman persona, your nightclub persona of the clips I've seen, like from the Comedy Store documentary, was like very masculine. And you're a fucking ball buster. Well, by nature, it's like who you, I feel like you're most at home with like five guys just shooting the shit. Right. Yeah. And then, then you start the tonight show, which you and, can't do that. Okay. You wind up, you do that way. You win the battle and lose the war. I was a comedian for the opening monologues. And then I was a host and there were plenty of times I'm talking to some, some guest and it's going, I, I, got the line just just let it go you know and I, it's the fat guy in the red shirt whatever there. i would just i would just let it go uh, okay and i that guess would come back but a lot of times it wouldn't go to other shows because they've been they've been made the brunt of the joke you know the, right. the trick is to know when to like people say, oh you watered it down for time yes because the tonight show was, was watered it was a watered down kind of that's what it was it was Meant to go out to me. It's 1130 at night. People are just going to bed. They want to have a laugh. You try to keep it as light and fun as much as you can. That was the job. You're hired to do a job. You know, I'm always amazed when I talk to comedians and go, I went to this. It was a Christian school and they told me to be clean. I just did all my, you know, filthy stuff. And I go, and what happened? I like it matter. Really? So what, what did you, I mean, yeah. if you don't want the job, don't take the job in the first place. But I always like people that, that think they're, iconoclast and, the, and then no you're not you're just not doing the, if you don't want if if you're gonna make don't don't take the job if you don't like yeah. it did you know when you would guest host before but he would you would guest host on mondays and who who would write the monologue you and a staff or like johnny's writers 
Well, no, I would, I would write the monologue myself for what I was guest hosting. But if you have to understand how that worked, people were guest hosting because you were not a threat to Johnny. Mm -hmm. They weren't looking for comics that were good. They were looking for comics that were good enough. Good enough. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's another whole interesting thing too because there were a dozen guest hosts in the early 80s. Different people do it all the time. After all comics? Usually, usually. Well, no, sometimes it would be John Davidson or yeah, right. some person. Second John Davidson reference. Right. Yeah, okay, there you go. Thank you. The, the listeners get a free taco. There you go. <laughs> there were a number of comics. They're all being represented by the same firm. And they called me up and they said, listen, uh, we can get $25,000 a night to guest hosts. Uh, that's what we're going to, that's what we're asking for our clients. And if you join us, we have a strong thing. I said, well, you know, I'm getting $512 because that was scale. They said, well, we're going to get 25,000. Yeah. I knew Johnny owned the show and we all got about the same ratings. So they put me on instead of the other guys, they would save $22,000, a couple of hundred thousand dollars a month. Yeah. So I became the permanent host. That was part of the reason. It wasn't the only one, but it was part of it because I didn't ask how much I paid. I said, whatever it is. And you just saw it as like a job, not like a, a job in a way of like, uh, there's this thing now where like, bring your whole self to work. You know that thing? Like bring your hobbies and bring your show and talk about your fan. And it's like, from my point of view, I'm like, I don't want to know no, any of no, this. I don't want to know. And so you just went and saw it as like, I'm not exactly being Jay Leno comedian. I'm being Jay Leno. Well, the great thing TV about the Tonight Show was I could be in show business without being in show business. I mean, I could be around it. So you're doing you're doing this as like a voca as like a not a day job's the wrong word, but like separate from stand up comedian Jay Leno. Well, right? it's separate from stand up. Right. Yeah. Okay, comedians start making fun of you publicly. Boohoo! Please. Okay, tell me about like. Oh, yeah. Why do I care? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean. But isn't there a party that's like, oh. well, there's a party that says, if you play football, who do you tackle? The guy with the ball. Okay. I was going to say your wife. Huh? Go ahead. Everybody loves the comedian. Oh, man, we heard about your set. You bombed. That was too bad, man. Man, we love you. Great. Yeah, I love to watch comedians embrace the people who fell in front of them, you know. Um, well, because I there's a, that story from one of the books about how you used to tape everybody's Tonight Show set, and if they bombed, you'd be like, "You want to come over and watch?" <laughs> oh yeah, we used to do that. Yeah, yeah. it was hilarious. hilarious. Yeah, bombing. So you didn't pretend to be sympathetic. No, no, well, no. I was also sympathetic, but that's okay. But if you're but bad, but you can be there's a reason you're bad, right? You know, and the reason is obvious. You did the set five nights before at the improv and it wasn't that strong why do you think it would be strong then yeah okay so guys are making fun because this is, i've heard stories of you calling guys who'd made fun of you yeah on the phone and that's 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 and i hilarious I, and I don't, and very don't, interesting to me i don't yell at them i i don't get mad because i did the same thing i was you know i was making fun of guys too Right. So I was just curious how it was from the other side. I remember one guy said, no, I'm not I'm do Leno, but I'm just, just do Leno. I, I said, so I called this guy and I go, look, 
it's fine. You don't like me, that's fine. You don't know me, so it doesn't offend me that you don't like me. But there are t two shows. There's Letterman's show and there's Leno's show. Now, assuming you kill on Letterman, and it's unbelievable, you'll get asked back all the time. But if you go on Letterman, it's not that good, and they don't like you, where do you go? Yeah. Uh, do you want to do my show at some point? Well, yeah. You can do it. It's okay. It's it's fine. But just be prepared for the consequences. You know, don't make it so personal. I mean, if you trash something that I do that didn't work, that's fine. If you say I'm a horrible person, and stuff like that, well, that's a whole different right, thing. But like, if you I really, remember Hicks had a bit about you, and I and then I found out you knew. I was like, he knew. You know what? Here's the thing. I met Hicks when he was 14, mm -hmm. and I was down there and wanted to talk to comedians. And Nick Hicks gets up and walks out of the room. I didn't know who he was, but I you said, they asked you the the club asked you to come and talk to some of the up and comers. Yeah, yeah. You walk in, you're talking and to someone said, who's a 14 year old. It was Bill Hicks. Yeah, and, and I, he walked out. Right. And I said to the guy at the club, I said, I don't know who that kid is, but I'm sure he's the funniest. Is he the funniest one here? And he goes, Yeah, he's really funny. I goes, Well, he's pissed because he's better than me, and that's fine. And and you have to believe it, whether it's true or not. Yeah. So I got to be really good friends with Hicks and his parents. And I gave him advice. And some he took and some he didn't. But much like any sort of parent-kid situation, you begin to resent. Yeah. You know? It sounds like he resented you from the minute go. <laughs> no, not from the minute go. Not okay. from the minute go. Because I was still friends with his, you know, I was friends. No, but when from he was 14. I was friends like, with his parents. Got it. No, he, here's what happened. He called, he wanted to come on the Tonight Show and do his Jesus thing. Mm -hmm. I, I remember, you know. Yeah. And at the time that was considered, you know, you yeah. know. And I said, you know, they'll just edit it. No, screw you, I can, I can do it on Letterman, Letterman do it. I go, it's not me not letting you do it, okay? It's a censor. I'll let you do it, they'll cut it up. No, F you, and they just, he was just furious at me. Then he went on all shows he's doing it on Letterman. And of course, they edited it too. They, yeah. they cut, cut it all up. Yeah. And then, oh, he kind of backtracked with me a little bit. I said, all right, it's fine. You know, I'm the bad guy here. You know, he, he didn't like that I was selling out by doing the Tonight Show. I think I was doing some Dorito commercials. We're in a sellout business. You know, I mean, I'm sorry. You go on TV, is that a sellout? I don't know. It's just like, to what? But yeah, I always wondered, with you, I think, are you a ball buster? Being nice or a nice guy being a ball buster? I like to think the second. Good, but when guys are making money, you must a party you must be like, oh, I want to the Italian, the fighter. Well, no, I, again, they they don't. I don't know this guy. But even publicly mocking, you must be like, oh, I want to hit back. Uh, even when you called guys, it was genuinely out of like. Well, if, if you talk to anybody I called, I never yelled at them. I never yeah. said, you suck, I'll teach you. You'll never do anything. I never use that, you know who I am. That's my favorite thing, whatever, <laughs> whenever a celebrity, do you know who I am? I don't know any celebrity that actually has ever said that, but they always quoted in yeah. magazines and stuff. And um, no, I, 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 and I became friends with a lot of guys who, because you're a kid, you're starting out, you think that's what you have to do. You have to trash somebody to get ahead, which I never quite get. You know, I mean, like when I do interviews, they, who don't you like? I don't want to talk about who don't yeah. like. I mean, just please, you know. Yeah, it doesn't serve. It's you. a hard business. Yeah. You know, everybody makes You're going to bump into reason. people. Well, yeah. So the stuff with Letterman, 
with the hindsight, what do you think looking back at it? Well, I don't was know. it a waste of time? Was it petty? Was it small? Do you wish you handled it differently? You know, I, I could say it was, but I probably do the same thing. I'm not sure what I did wrong. It started that, oh, I, I took the Tonight Show away from Letterman. He says he never had it. He never had it. Yeah. But, but the reason he didn't have it was because he was so good. Here's the thing. Johnny was on at 1130. David was doing better at 1230. I mean, he was killing, yeah. he was making huge money, all this kind of stuff. When, when, when I guest hosted, I got the same ratings as Johnny. Okay, so NBC said, whoa, we got a hit at 1130 with this new guy and Letterman's killing it at 1230. If we get rid of Jay, he'll go to ABC or CBS. We move Dave down. There's no guarantee he'll be a success. Let's keep Letterman where he was. And although although Johnny did want Letterman, uh, that was Johnny's choice. Johnny, that, the time slot belonged to NBC. Yeah. yeah. And, and Dave had kind of pissed people off a little bit too. But, all right, so I'll play this and just go ahead. stop it whenever you want. Uh, in my group, uh, the funniest was Jay. There, there were other people that would come in and uh, put on a better show, but just funny to funny, it was always Jay. What do you think of that, looking back on it? The rivalry and the late night wars and all that stuff. How do you categorize it in your mind? Well, it's uh, overall it's embarrassing because I don't want to be the guy who's uh, pissed off because, oh, I didn't get so-and-so, uh, because I didn't truly feel that way. You oh, didn't feel that way? No. No. Thought? You know, I love Letterman. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not, and you probably know this as a comic, you go through life and when, when you're starting out and you meet people who just don't get you. I mean, they might get it a little bit, but you know, it's when, it's like when you're dating and the girl goes, why do you have to do a set every night? What, why do you have to go to the club every night? Okay, get a new girlfriend, okay? Okay, because this is first. I'm sorry, girlfriend, you're second. You might tie it, but you're never going to be in front of it, you know. And then you, you come to a place like comedy store. You meet Letterman. You meet Richard Lewis. You meet other people that really think like you, and you form a bond. I could never dislike. I mean, was I hurt by a lot of things? Sure, sure. That's okay. But there's Hurt in that, in that, like, it was personal or hurt in, like, fuck, this is, I, can't we... We both have these amazing perches. Like we're uh, we're both the top of the heap in show business. Can you know, we I just thought enjoy it, was, it? The thing I liked about it was I got the ratings, Dave got the critics. And that seemed fair. And and you know something? If you flipped it, that would be okay too. Mm -hmm. I would take either. I mean, I think we both did okay that way. But truly one of the funniest people. And I felt he and I were the perfect foil feature because any time spent with Letterman I always left with more material than I came in with mm. in the sense that oh what's well, what's the thing they said oh yeah you know let's expand that yeah you know we would have a conversation and we'd both be laughing and there was no greater joy than putting something in that Letterman genuinely laughed at because Letterman didn't always find things funny I mean one of the, one of my favorite moments there was a comedian named Fred Travelina. Do you mind mm -hmm. Fred? He, he, vaguely. He was an impressionist. Yeah. But of the old school, you know, tuxedo Vegas. Oh, here's Bob Hope at a party. You know, that yeah. real good kind. And he just hounded Letterman. Don't put me on. Because we know, you know, all these things from the comedy store, you know, you feel guilty. You don't have. So Letterman puts him on. 
And he sits down, Dave, how you doing? So and so. And Dave asks him a question. He goes, Dave, you know, with my crazy mind, and Dave, <laughs> you know my crazy mind. You see Levin, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, he's just so uncomfortable yeah. in this line of questions. Yeah. Oh, anyway, with my wacky mind, you know how I think. And I, I'm just screaming, laughing. Dragging him into his horrible setups. Yeah, yeah. Just It just made me laugh. And that was, we didn't have that when Dave and I got together. I would say something and he would say something scathy or snarky and I would try to come back with them. Oh, so it was, it was the greatest time in my career. It was the most fun on TV. I believe you. And what I'm curious about is as it got, you got bigger, he got bigger rivalry, all that competition. Is there a party that feels like, uh, eh, shit, I wish it was still, we were closer, like the relationship maintain i don't know i i think if we ever did get together it would immediately go back to right what it was mm -hmm. you know like in 78 i mean i like i love comics yeah. you know i'm not a religious person but you know if they stab me i go he still make me laugh man i'm sorry yeah you know i mean so it's it's tricky it's tricky we have really nothing in common uh but cars cars yeah yeah. And $500 million each? I think Dave's probably got a few bucks more than I Okay. Do. Five, five, five. Dave's got no, 580. Whatever. whatever. But what I mean, you seem, you seem obsessed by wealth. I, I do seem obsessed by wealth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Has it eluded you? You do pretty no, good. Right. Yeah, you do. It's right. fun, though. Yeah. It's fun to talk about because the thing everyone pursues, no one can talk about. Right, and then when right. it's in the paper, how much you make, it's like, well, let's talk about right, it. Right, right. And it's one of those things. That's why I don't complain about anything. Like right. When, when I had my accidents, I just do jokes about it. Because people love to see rich people being set on fire. Okay, it's, it's really it's something yeah. they enjoy. So you joke about it, you make you make fun of it, you know. But was I hurt by the things that went on back and forth? Yeah, yeah. I mean, some were like, really, okay. You know, I I, I remember once his producer called me. This is when Dave had his heart attack, mm -hmm. and they said, "Please don't say anything on the Tonight Show." I said, "Why? Well, I, I just please, just don't." Just don't mention it. Don't say anything. Okay. Okay. So I, I didn't, you know. And about 10 days later, the only one who never mentioned it was Leno. You never, I, I walked into that. I got set up on that. Yeah. I just said, ah, ah yeah. stupid was I not to do that. Yeah. But that wasn't Dave. That was somebody on the show. But no, to this day, Letterman makes me laugh as much as anybody. Yeah. Fascinating character funny and there's a connection that we have that i can't describe i know that's what i'm saying like ah that's all right but you know something it's like sex i don't care how it works it works just leave you know i i like to make love i don't want to be a gynecologist okay it's a little, it's a little too complicated i don't know what this means but i like it yeah 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 that's right so i mean i always i always like that i mean even when I went back to do the Oprah commercial with Letterman, that, that thing. You Were know? you guys on set the same day or they yes, shot separately? Same, no, same time. I flew in. Dave said, Jay, how you doing? Dave, my wife. We did our lines and then Dave left. And we were there like a minute and a half, two minutes. But that was okay. That was okay. So it's like a, you consider him like a work friend of someone you're a fan of, actual friend, back then, I mean. I don't know. You know, it's like if you've ever been in a plane crash with someone, you have a bond. If you've ever been in a car accident, the two of you pull each other out. I don't know. My success 
was hinged to his. Uh, I don't know if his was hinged to mine, but mine was hinged to his. And I'm always grateful for the the time I spent with. Those are the most fun part of my career because I could go on the Letterman show with something I thought of that afternoon and just do it. It was spontaneous. It wasn't rehearsed. Uh, we didn't have to run it past anybody. It just seemed to work because I knew, I just knew, I could see how the, the wheels turning. And I, I said, what Letterman's going to say about this? And I can always tell what I, what, like with the super success magazine, when I caught him off guard, oh, there was nothing more fun to me, nothing I enjoyed more ever yeah. than, than making Dave laugh. Yeah. It's, I wonder how it could have worked professionally if you're the host of Tonight Show, he's on after, or I guess on against, like, could you have maintained the relationship in any, like, well, again, and, and be again, successful? Dave would be the guy and I would be the, if it was a comedy team, Dave would be the straight man and I would be the clown guy. I mean, mm -hmm. I would. It, you'd be the Dean it's, Martin. It's, or no, you'd be the Jerry Lewis. It's better if David was the host and I was the comic. Because, mm -hmm. you know, I remember Dave used to say to me, when I first saw Letterman as a comedy, so I walked and I said, I introduced myself and I said, man, great wordsmith. I like the way you put this together. Bob. Just talk about how he phraseology yeah. and whatnot. And he said to me, well, how, how can you just be so confident? You got up there and just. I would just start yelling at people, you know? And because I, I, I wasn't as funny as I was loud. I was, hey, 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 nice to see you, pal. You know, just kind of, I didn't have a lot of jokes. But Letterman, oh, he, he liked that part of it. He, he, he wasn't outgoing in that way. And I liked his words. So I think we took a little bit from each other. I watched the way David phrased things. I said, yeah, I got to slow down and be more exact in how I, how I say things, you know? Yeah. And it's just one of them things. It's just one of those life things. Is that you know, it's one of those life things. Yeah. I mean, if Letterman ever wanted me for anything, I would be there. I am eternally grateful. And I'm sorry it got so ugly. I don't think it ever got really personal, personal. It was mostly other people. You know, once Stern gets into it and anybody else, mm -hmm. they're all attacking you. And everything. But they was okay. They was okay. I mean, I, I, I got it, you know. The idea that I somehow took the show away from him, well, that never happened. Uh, David's own success kept him from getting the show because they wanted to keep 1230 a hit. You know, but when, when I talk to strangers, they think Dave was all set to step in and then I came, I guest hosted for five years. I heard you, you stood in the door and said, but wait. Uh, yeah. But, but no, I guest hosted for five years before I even got the show. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. And you're just like, ah, the sands of time or sands like of, sands of time <laughs> okay how did you fall in love with mavis and how did you not have kids oh well uh i've lived with like five women they're all born on the same day really mavis was when i saw mavis in the audience same year or same no sign? same 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 sign and uh i said What's your birthday? She said September fifth. I go. Oh. I remember I had Kathy Geiswhite. Do you remember her? Sounds she, you remember Kathy Cartoon? Kathy. Yes. Okay. She was on the Tonight Show. I find myself strangely attracted. I said, "What are you addressing him?" I said, "Look, I'm not flirting. I'm happily married." I, I wrote a date down on this piece of paper. Just take a look at that date. And see if it means anything. And you ask volunteers, have we ever met before, sir? Have we, you did the whole magician I, I thing? Met before, you know? And she turned it over. She said, oh, September 5th, that's my birthday. I went, 
Okay, that's what I thought. Okay, I'd just taken a wild guess. And then I told her the story, and I told my wife on September 5th. So that's your sexual orientation is September 5th? Uh, I just seemed to be attracted to September 5th. Uh, my wife never wanted kids, and it was fine with me, so that was all right. Oh, so you didn't, you weren't like, it wasn't, no, I don't there need, was no I don't tension? Need a little J. No, no, I'm fine. You know, she could go on the road with me. It was like you're on a date the whole time, you know, so. Meaning what? Well, what I mean is she's not home taking care of a kid and I'm in a club. Hey, girls, how are you? Nice to right. see you. You know, I mean, as what happens. Uh, she had a dad that was in show business. He was not particularly successful, but he was a working. Was it Fred Travelina? No, no, working <laughs> character actor, you know, so. So she knew the life. And if we, if I went to Hawaii for a gig, she went with me. So, yeah. So, and that to this day, she, I was at Comedy Magic Club last night doing a benefit. She was with me. So, and, Been and 43 years. 43 years. Is it still like a date? What's it? Is it still? I enjoy her company. You know, that's kind of all you can when ask. You, for. you know, I remember having a discussion with someone. This person said to me, Oh, he met this girl, comic. He goes, She's crazy. She's really crazy, but the sex is unbelievable. It's going on and on about the sex. And I said, look, when the sex is over, she's still crazy. <laughs> so you have 23 hours of crazy until the, until the crazy wheel comes yeah. around again. You have 23 hours of crazy. Sit there and eat. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's when everything else happens. It just made me laugh. No, I enjoy our company. We have a good time. She understands what a good joke is. You know, I remember, we were, you know, we were lying in bed the other night, you know, just say like two o'clock in the morning. She goes, she goes, honey, I love you. I said, you're having a nightmare. Go back to bed. <laughs> right. And she fell out of bed laughing. And to me, as opposed to a woman who might get mad at that, but I just went, you're having a nightmare. She just, she thought that was <laughs> like the funniest thing. I went, oh, it's a pretty good line. I mean, she woke me up in the middle of the night. It's hilarious. You're just having a nightmare, honey. Go back to bed. Um, did you learn anything from your recent accidents? No. And you no, said it wasn't the first. That's why they're called accidents. They're accidents. I didn't, if I was a Buddhist and I was setting myself on fire to protest some injustice, that would be one thing. But I just, it was just an accident. So what, you didn't crash for any kind of cause? Just uh, No, no. no my, what happened was I was on my motorcycle. I came around a corner. And I crashed into Jeremy Renner's snowplow. That's so. It was just a, a bad. I didn't know that was a joke until until you hit until yeah, you yeah hit me over the head with it. Yeah. Oh, here's a question. Okay. Did you like running a staff? Because you. By the way, you still have a. You still have a big. You still do a lot of TV shows. You still do. I. How many I, of those the the I garage show episodes do you do? How okay. many you've done? Uh, like hundred of them? It's five hundred or something? Oh no, we got a, well. We do fifty-two a year, and I've been on for thirteen years. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, it's and then I do the Jay Donald's Garage Show that that was on CNBC. Now will be on someplace else. We haven't found a home for it. Those are hour episodes. The others are half hours. But what what was the question? Uh, and do you? How do you do? You mind running a staff? Do you? I I personally kind of find it stressful, but <laughs> you find everything. Stressful. I do. I, sure I don't do. find anything stressful. No, I know. That's interesting. No, stress you... is not a part of my... You know why? Because it's all gravy at this point. You know, my parents saw me be successful. My parents died. I, I didn't die in some uh, with me in some sort of shameful situation or being arrested. You know, they got to see me be successful. Yeah, I, you know, so everything is, is, is gravy at this point. I like 
I like having a staff. I, I really enjoyed it. When I would hire writers, I hired them for a year. I didn't pick anybody up for th 13 weeks mm -hmm. uh, because look, find your voice, just write anything and just send me everything. So a lot of times people would send me material on the same and each writer would think they wrote the joke. Well, they didn't really. Maybe it was my punchline and their setup or vice versa. And sometimes I wrote the whole joke, but a lot of times, so that really was no stress. We had two teams. Some worked until from seven in the morning till like four o'clock in the afternoon. Then I had a second staff that worked to three or four in the morning. And I would get jokes from each side. And it worked out great. I hired writers by looking at material, not by name, not by seeing them, just send me material. And we wound up with four female writers and one guy that was so crippled with muscular dystrophy, but he could bang out a typewriter. Now, if that guy had been pushed into my office, I might not have hired him, but he had jokes that were funny. So I hired on the basis You of, would have discriminated against him if you had the chance. I don't know if I would have, but somebody, you know, but you know what I'm saying. No, I know what you mean, People yeah. go, oh, this guy, but he was funny. He was good. Banging on the typewriter is a little, I feel like that's a poor use. Of, <laughs> that's a poor use. That's, that's probably true. <laughs> poor but, use But you know what I'm phrase. saying. But yeah. anyway, but anyway, uh, so it was okay. I liked it. We all got along pretty well. Didn't have any real problems. You know, anytime there's a problem, we just sort of stopped and dealt with it. Do you have a temper at all? No. No, I don't. I don't have, I don't have a temper. I, I have a temper if something is intolerant or something like that, but not if it's, Something to, I mean, I, I like to think I can, so what's the real problem here, you know? It doesn't seem that hard to me. You know, kindness goes a long way. If you're the first one in the office and the last one to leave, no one grudges you the 37 million, besides you, of course. No one grudges you how much money you're making if you appear to be working harder than yeah. anyone else. And that's, that's what Were I Were you conscious to, of that? Yeah, I took the smallest office. Like Debbie had the, the office with the bathroom and all this stuff. And people go, I want to go talk to Jay. They go, this is your office? Yeah, I just sit here and write jokes. That's all. Oh. And they were astounded they didn't have the big office because I had the same office as all the other writers. And the writers would walk by and just hand me jokes. We didn't have a writer. I guess we had a writer's room. And you we, would have writers. Jimmy Bergman would say that you'd be writing until you'd have them to your house. Yeah. Uh, some writers would come over and we work from 10 to about 2 or 2.30. In the morning. Yeah. And I would try to have... 60% of the monologue together before I went to bed. Because you don't know if a plane crashes, well, there's your airplane hunk, take yeah. that out, you know, whatever it might be. So that was always, I would say most of the effort went into the monologue. Uh, I mean, I realized about five years in, there were only 18 guests in the whole world that mean anything. Mm. So rather than do a four and a half or five minute monologue, like they used to do in the old days, we stretched it out to 11 or 12 minutes. And that seemed to work. As long as the jokes kept coming, people, oh, oh well, I'm, I'm just going to stay and watch. And by that time, we're into the next click on the rating period, so that helps. And are you pretty uh, accepting of the show, this, the the showbiz clock and like, all right, it's my time. I had like my thing, and now I'll just do something else. You mean with, with the, the show? Tonight Show, like with the turnover of the jobs? Yeah, I mean, the Tonight Show ended on a Thursday night. Uh, Friday, I was in Florida at a gig. And, the, and you kind of were just like, yeah. No, I was a stand-up comedian who was lucky enough to get a TV show. Sometimes it's only eight weeks. Sometimes it's a year and a half. I was lucky. It lasted 22 years. That's fine. Yeah. yeah. And you didn't, you weren't chomping at the bit or 
No, I was never a guy that uh, I go to Spago. I'm saying this used to be my table. What? What? what I, that's what that's my table. You know, no, yeah. I wasn't one of those guys. No, no, I never went to. I didn't do any of that. All my meals came from people in paper hats. You know, I, 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 I didn't. I didn't want to live a show business lifestyle, you know. As you're saying all this, I'm like, I feel like you're more competitive, not in a good way. Like in a, I feel like you're like, you want to kill. Yes. You want to kill in every, and you want to be like, if there's a job you can have, you want the job. Yes. Like you are ambitious in a meritocracy. You want to like, I want to earn it. And then I want to be the best. Yeah. I think that's, that makes sense. Yeah. Because that's what the sort of, the Letterman and the Kimmel and all those guys get like the, the way I don't want to put words in them, but it seems like the implication is that you're very competitive. Yeah. But that's good. Isn't it? I, yeah. If I'm a, if I'm the buyer, if I'm the, you right, know what I mean? Like right, if I'm the, exactly. if I'm in the crowd. Right. Exactly. And you don't, and you just feel like, no, this is like, well, this is the rules of the game and let's yeah play hard. That's fine. I don't mind getting beaten by somebody that's better. You know, I, I mean, I was at the comedy show and I saw Ornie Adams. You ever seen Ornie? Mm -hmm, yeah. Really funny. Yeah. He's a guy that's really grown into it now. Mm -hmm. And he had a bit that just killed me. And I, I walked out, I told him, I said, I'm so pissed that I didn't think of that because it was so funny and so smart. It's a bit about low T. Have you heard that? Bit? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And I go, ah, that, that's right up my alley. How did I miss that? Uh, but I was glad for him. Yeah. And I was glad that he was funnier than I was. And that that's good. I, I don't mind getting beaten. You know, it's like losing a fight, but you put it like my dad, you know, it's a good beating. Yeah. Well, that's okay. I stayed in the fight. Yeah, that's good. You did. You know. Yeah. But you can, it sounds like you can give a beating too. Like, you know, you can I, take a beating, but once you got good well, at I hope it. so. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Oh, this is the thing I wanted to. Oh. How, how, how uh, well you know comedy. A friend of mine was the, uh, we'll call him Seth Myers. Yeah. Said that you called him when he was the host of Weekend Update and told him why you liked his approach. You said, when you don't like a joke, I can't tell. And you said when, and then you went down all the other late night hosts and said, when they don't like a joke, so-and-so looks up and to the right. Right. The level of mastery you have is incredible. Well, you know what's interesting? Well, you, you, it's funny that you say that because when Letterman would do a slam at me, like I think Howard Stern was saying, you know, Leno steals all his jokes from me. You know, something. Yeah. And he, he said it once in the monologue, uh, Leno was stealing jokes from me, and his eyes went down, you know, and I realized, oh, I see Dave doesn't believe that. I could, I could tell. I mean, I, I could tell he was saying something that really wasn't. Maybe I'm imagining it, but mm -hmm. really wasn't. And I, I, I can see that when somebody doesn't tell the truth, everybody has to tell, you know. Yeah. And with Seth, I could tell, I couldn't tell when he didn't like the joke, you know, but a lot of times. But you knew everybody else's tell. Yeah, well, because comics, if somebody else wrote the joke and it doesn't work, they want to distance themselves. Uh -huh. They say it and then. <laughs> You know, then it's a turn, whatever it might be. But there's always something they want people to know subconsciously. That was not their job. They, they were yeah. doing it because it's part of the job. It was forced on them, whatever it might be. You know, but, 
That's funny. Yeah, that was like Johnny. That's what was great. At him. I mean, Chappelle one time said, you can tell how funny someone is by how they bomb. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Johnny, like no one was better. Right. Excellent. That's right. That's um. Right. All right. Final question. Oh, final You're gonna question. You're going to hate it. You're going to hate it. Oh. I would like to give you credit for inspiring kind of a, I do a joke about how dogs uh, are hostages and you had a joke about, was it the cat being finicky or the dog being finicky? I, I'm good. I'm you had a joke about uh, the dog. Your wife said uh, the cat won't eat the food we got her. She's being finicky. And you said, well, lock her in the closet for three days. Yeah. And let's see how finicky she is. <laughs> right, right. I do remember that joke. Yeah, yeah, that's it seems funny... more cruel than a joke. But yeah, <laughs> and, and what's the? And what's the? No, you inspired. First of all, no, it's you know it's funny. It was funny. You did it in the eighties. I remember. Right, right. You were. I'm trying to prove that you were a headliner that you would okay. have enjoyed. Now you were a critic of me in the early days, correct? No, no? I never was. No, oh, I've right, literally right. never. I've always oh. just thought you were like a great con i knew i remember when you were a comic so when you were doing the tonight show i never i was never i kind of understood what you were doing it was amazing how people just you just get swamped with it was just unbelievable just uh, yeah it, 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 was, it was it was a fascinating experience was it like wow this what did it feel like entirely you know heavy lays the head that wears the crown or was it well i think three times i was in the top 100 most influential people type of thing um and we would get jokes every week in the new york times that they put out of the monologue you know I, I i didn't think i i thought like i always had a smart joke and then a, a silly joke you always want to have something for everybody in there you know yeah when times are serious uh you you did silly jokes and times was silly you did serious jokes you know mm. and but i always tried to have the monologue you put it together like a newspaper you start with the headline of the day and by the time you get to the end of the monologue it's like the funny page you're just doing silly things so it's so and so and when i got picked on it was always for the silly things but we got quoted more than almost anybody for the political jokes we did at the time um well yeah but uh, they didn't they didn't act like they were smart huh the, you would do the same political, but it just, it didn't seem, because it was, you're affable. So it seems like, oh, Jay's sort of mild and doesn't have a strong opinion, but it's like, yeah, you have a strong opinion. Anybody that's paying attention can tell. Yeah. You know, I mean, but that's really the key to it. I mean, that's why everybody that does a talk show now, you're always losing 50% of the audience because you're giving away all your, you know, I used to do these uh, things with um, Colin Powell. I go out and do like 20 minutes of stand up. Then I bring him out and I would interview him. And it'd be like at colleges, you know, yeah. these kind of things. And he, he told me he, he didn't run for president because the minute he did, every day he would lose another half of the audience, another chunk, because he didn't believe this, he didn't believe that. Yeah. You know, Mother Teresa was against abortion, hated it. Well, they'd be picketing her today. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, so a lot of times, so you, you to show all your cards doesn't necessarily seem like the smartest thing when you're a business like television, which has a mass appeal. You know? Yeah. And I never, I'm trying to think of like, did I ever criticize? I, I really, and in fact, Chappelle used to be on the, your on the tonight yeah, show we had him on. and it was helpful. It like was helpful to the, to getting the show and starting the show. So like, right. 
Oh, like, I, I love Dave. He was. Yeah. I thought he was just the best. Yeah. yeah, he he is. So so uh so yeah, I'm I'm I would have to think about it, but I've always had like a. Well, no, I'm not. I'm just saying. No, because I'm trying to think. I'm like, because well, you're a wanna... smart guy. So I thought no, no, no. You, you'd, <laughs> probably, you'd probably be in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but what I'm saying is, the other <laughs> thing that impressed me is when we met. We met a couple years ago, and you knew you watch every stand-up special. I see a lot of them. I, I, I'm a little tired of the, you know, the first one's always good. The second one is. Hey, boy from Denver. Yo, Denver, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. okay, I got 59 minutes. You know, pep I, rally. Yeah, I'm just, I've never done one because I, you're now a victim. It's on your permanent record. That's an interesting reason to not do one because it'd be a good payday. Well, or you could do 10 one nighters and make the same money and own, yeah. and own your act. You know, a lot of times people come and they go, ah, oh, I, I saw a year ago, you got all new stuff. No, I don't. You just have yeah, a bad forgot. memory. You know, you just forgot. And it comes every six to nine seconds There's a joke and you're moving quickly. When it's on TV, if you're in town tomorrow night, I'm going to watch your three specials. And if you do anything in that live show that's on the special, I feel ripped off. Yeah. First of all, you're not going to remember. You're going to remember. You're only going to remember three bits from an hour anyway. Right. Tops. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah. But yeah, that's, I'm always impressed with your it's like in like real intent like real into the like rock said one time I, it's in seinfeld's movie that when when you guys were at comedy magic and it's you and shanling and right. rock and seinfeld and rocks always like jay was like the 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 grown-up in that room <laughs> okay here's the question all right well all right i want to before we go on all right i want to know more about the criticism because i i feel like there's something there how you were like wow all these people have turned on me did it feel disloyal did it feel it surprised you did it feel like well it surprised you money of course it does because you, you have an opinion of yourself and you're surprised when people think completely the opposite and you go yeah Wow, how did I not, I mean, you question your, how did I not see that coming? How did I not know where there's smoke, there's fire? You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, so it was, it was, I, I mean, I, I, I'd like to think I'm pretty thick skin, but yeah, some of it was hurtful, but usually it was from people I didn't know. It wasn't coming from internally. Oh yeah, we work with Leno on the Tonight Show and he's awful. It wasn't that, it was people that don't know you, you know? Like I was giving, I was giving out donuts at the, uh, at the strikers. Yeah, the writers guild on strike. Uh, right, yeah. and uh, and Leno pulls up on a hundred thousand dollar Tesla with thirty, thirty dollars worth of donuts. Screw you, Jay Leno. Well, am I supposed to sell my car now? Or am I supposed, yeah. No, I just handed out donuts. I wasn't. I yeah. Did, guys, here's some donuts. But just people furious, you know. Yeah. Or, or people think that you, I'm doing this game show. You bet your life, you know. And we, we took it off because of the writer's strike. You know, okay, well, solidarity, I believe in all that. But I'm not in charge. I, I work there. So there's a payroll company that pays residuals. I'm reading this. Jay Leno, pay us the residuals you owe us. I didn't even know what this guy was talking about. And I called, and it turns out, yeah, the payroll company is behind. And uh, okay, but, you know, they're blaming me. I have nothing to do with that. Yeah. That's the kind of ones where you feel like, I don't mind if I did something. I, I'll take credit for it or the blame, but I, I this has nothing to do with me, you know. Yeah, those are the ones that kind of get you. 
Yeah, well, that's the yeah the stuff that's like. And do you were you able to quickly think this is not about me? It's about the position. Yeah, yeah, I, I get. I'm that. the. I empathize with the people because I've been in that situation. But I'm talking about criticism from comics, like the criticism from the time the from the '90s, all that comics and. I, part of me, I don't know if I wouldn't have taken a swing at somebody. Well, I mean, there is a little bit of that Italian Alzheimer's. Yeah. You forget everything but a grudge. You know? <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So that's why. You know, I, I remember, I don't necessarily hold it against people, but I, I always remember like with, uh, oh, the comic that talks, uh, Bobcat. Yeah. I, for some reason, Bobcat comes on The Tonight Show with a can of lighter fluid. Do you remember this? Yeah. He sets a couch on fire. Okay. And, okay, well, I put it out, okay. Fire marshal comes over after furious, wants him arrested. Just da-da-da-da, you know. And I said, no, no. And I, I, I mean, this guy is screaming. I calmed him down. I said, look, Bob Castle, I don't think he meant anything. da 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 I mean, I defended him. I kept him being arrested. And then I hear him on Stern, all the Leno, fucking pussy ass Leno. I go, really? Do you think that was funny? Setting the couch on, I mean, everything is paper. The whole thing, yeah. the whole studio could have gone up, you know? And I go, really? All right. And I, I don't think I've spoke to him since. Not, I just haven't been in the same yeah. room with him, right? But I was, I just thought, really? I mean, I mean, I kept you from being arrested. <laughs> uh, you know, I intervened on your behalf. And I, those are the kind of things I don't, I didn't understand. Like, why would you not say, hey, Jay, thanks for covering my ass? Like, yeah, no problem, man. It was a stupid thing. Yeah, I know it was stupid. Oh, okay, fine. That's, that's what I really thought would happen. Yeah. And then I find myself uh, being castigated. Because, oh, it, it was really funny. And you go, all right, okay. You know, yeah. Just no, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. Is like it, it, it penetrated and it was like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, it, it gets to you. But there's a little Nietzsche in here too, you know. You gotta, what doesn't kill you does make you stronger. Yeah. You and know? you believe that as like an ethos. Oh, yeah. I think that's it. Yeah. Like when I got set on fire, I went, this is bad. It's not when bad. When Bobcat set you on fire. No, no. <laughs> when, I got, when I got set on fire, I went, it's bad, but it's not that bad. I don't take painkillers or anything like that. I said, pain is there for a reason. It's supposed to teach you a lesson. Uh, and okay. Yeah. And you, and you, that seems to be like your number one. Like you don't feel if you feel sorry for yourself, it's not for more than like a split second. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, and you if and that. and you think it's like from the from you were always like that. Yeah, I've always been that way. I think you know. And plus, look, I'm a real. I'm very lucky. I've been way more successful than I than I ever thought would happen. So at this point, it's all gravy. So if it blows back in your face, okay. That's all right. That's fine. I don't feel sorry for myself. I don't sit home and go, oh, why didn't I get this? Like, yeah, it went I pretty mean, well. Yeah, yeah. I don't, you know, by your own admission. Was it 37? Yeah, yeah. I mean, 37 a year from what I, from what Jay Leno told me he made. All right. Movie of your life. The Jay Leno story. What's the arc? Who plays Jay Leno? I have no idea. Fred Travelina. <laughs> I have no idea who plays Jay Leno. What's it about? What was this all about? Favorite movies. Oh, it's all black and white. Requiem for a Heavyweight uh -huh. with Anthony Quinn. Yep. The first, I saw the movie when I was 10. That was the first empathetic movie I ever saw. 
Meaning? Meaning that, did you ever see the movie? Yeah. So we, yeah, we watched it in film school. When he fact. goes into and he talks to the woman about working, I was, I was number, number five in the world. And you just, you just feel for this guy. Yeah. Okay. You know, just uh, the first one that yeah. just like, oh, yeah. facing the crowd. You ever see face? Facing the crowd? the crowd is anyone who hasn't seen it is doing themselves a disservice. Even if you hate black and white movies, even if you hate old movies, I don't even know how you can it's, hate black and white it's, movies. I mean, because if you grew it, up in color, it's the greatest movie. It's so cynical, and Andy Griffith is. You want to talk about a hundred and I mean, d d driving a million miles. You can't believe how good he is. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's why I, I never bought Dustin Hoffman as Lenny because he was always an actor in that. Mm -hmm. He wasn't a comedian. Andy Griffith was a comedian in this, in in the sense, and when he played that, you know, when he does that whole thing where he he's just the sleaziest guy, and he he gets a radio show and he goes. You know, men think you women just put a little water over a dish and that's all you do all day. They don't know you're scrubbing the floor and doing. He's he he just milks in it. it, it, it that's just the the greatest showbiz, movie, the greatest movie. Uh, Godfather, of course, obviously you got to go for that one. That's a, and that's the color one. Um, Twelve Angry Men, great. Twelve black and white, yeah. another great black and white movie. Yeah, just unbelievable. So we got Twelve Angry Men facing the crowd. Oh. Miracle on 34th Street. Miracle on 34th Street because it's the only Christmas movie that gives you a logical reason why the man is Santa Claus. Because everyone, it's just magic. Yeah. But in this one, you got this old man, they got him on trial for being Santa Claus, you know, and da, 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 da. And then Jack Albertson in his first acting role ever, it's the post office, he's got all these letters to Santa. What do you got to do these letters? Take a dead letter. They're all filled down there. Hey, wait a minute. They got Sandy Claus on on trial down there. To send them down the courthouse. So the lawyer goes in. If no other authority, if an authority as prestigious as the United States Post Office recognizes this man as Santa Claus, that he, and then he say, I, I thought it was just great. The greatest. And come watch this movie. He's a kid. I want. Well, how do you? How are they going to justify? He's not really Santa Claus. But he becomes Santa Claus by edict of the United States government. I thought, yeah. I thought it was the greatest ending ever. Just yeah, just, yeah, make because it's logical and it, yeah. as good as the Bob Newhart waking up in the bed next to yes. Yeah. You're, you know what your dad was good teaching you? Dodging. Dodging. <laughs> Dodging questions. Oh, what was this? The question, question is. Oh, what? Oh, I thought I. What was this Jay Leno movie uh, life all about? What was the? What's the story arc? I don't know. I don't care. You know, I'll give you an example. Okay. I'm in Vegas one day. I'm at, it was the Hilton then. And I see these two guys, and they have a six-foot cardboard cut out of Elvis. One guy's holding the head. The other guy's walking. Got the feet. As they walk by me with this. And I said, hey, what are you guys? Uh, oh, you putting an Elvis thing in? He goes, putting it in? No, we're taking it down. Nobody knows who Elvis is anymore. I went, oh, okay. Well, so much for legacy. Thank you. And I went, well, yeah. So when people say, well, how do you feel about, I don't know, I don't care. While I'm here, it's been a great ride. It's been a lot of fun. I enjoy it. To have the audacity to think, well, I'd like this to go on long after I'm dead. No, no, no. I'm not even talking about like, what no. do you think? Do you believe in like a God thing? Like is it, what do you, what's your sort of, what do you think this was a, like, what did you overcome? What did you, <laughs> like a movie. Not about what are they, I don't, not, it's not about worshiping Jay Leno. No. It's just about like, what was the. What's the story? 
I have no idea. And you and and it seems like you just not. I, I, it's none I, of your business. I just don't have any interest in it, really. Yeah. If I I should spend my time trying to think of something funny, as opposed to gee, what would who would play me? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, that's but, it. I, yes. But you're yeah. misunderstanding me. What I'm saying is like, what did you what did you get out of this out of life? Oh, you know, you know something. I saw a commercial on TV that I. I so missed the point of this commercial. A guy's like in a rugged place, like on the, what's that place in Chile? Mississippi, what's that, what's that mountain? Um, uh, is there a, is there a casino? No, no, it's not a casino. No, it's uh, Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he said, he said, what are you going to, when you die, what are you going to think? What I could have bought or where I could have gone? I'm thinking, well, I know I would have bought that. Uh, and I went, oh, I would like to have bought I went, oh, I missed the whole point of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was thinking I should have got that Corvette. Uh, you just bought, how many cars have you bought? I, I got 204 on the road. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, yeah. But I, it, I just missed the whole point yeah. of it. So I don't, th- like, that's the thing is, I don't think you're like, bullshitting. I think you're like, it's just like, this is your orientation of life and this is how you see shit. And you just, yeah, I mean, you know, you have, certain codes that you live by that don't always make sense and if you follow them you know it's like if a guy takes dice and he keeps throwing them with a thousand other people at the end of the day only one guy is going to be left standing and that guy's going to think wow i must be really special no you're not you're just really really lucky so i've never got to the point where i thought i was special I just thought I was lucky at throwing dice. It just happened. And also you're lucky to have uh, the ability to right. write jokes. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, assuming that part of it, you know. You know, I have a good support system. I got the same friends I had in high school. I've been married the same with 43 years. It, it's all, it's it's great. So when these outside forces attack me, I, I don't, it doesn't bother me. You know, when I was a kid, I could never watch shows like Maud because they were always screaming at each other in the house. We never fought inside my house when I was a kid. And my wife and I don't fight. So to me, once I'm at home and I shut the door, all that is outside. It doesn't bother me. I never bring my work home. My wife would say, hey, what's this in the paper about you and Letterman? Oh, it's nothing, it's nothing. I mean, I, we didn't even discuss it because when I'm home, that that's where it is, you know? And so when you say, like whenever, whenever I see people fighting and they're married, it's like, oh, it just makes me really uncomfortable because that's at your core. You, 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 you're going down now as opposed to having a fort, you know? I have a fort, the people I grew up with, parents, wife, you know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? No, yeah, I, you're, not, you're not neurotic. You're just not a neurotic person. You're not, no, I'm not neurotic. You're not, you, you just are like living a life and you're not thinking about why and the you're not questioning that and que- like no. you're just going forward yeah you're plowing ahead you're plowing ahead yes. as the sands of time plowing ahead. uh thanks for coming buddy thanks I appreciate it was great it. to have you good, good being, man good being ahead